Hey guys, I'm Tamara Melton. And I'm Deanna Bellany. We are the co-founders of Diversify Dietetics, a nonprofit community dedicated to increasing the racial and ethnic diversity in the field of nutrition and dietetics. Welcome to Feed Me the Facts. Welcome to Feed Me the Facts, Deanna here, and I am talking today with Starla Garcia, who is a registered dietitian who is currently living in Houston, Texas. Starla is a Rio Grande Valley native, former University of Houston track and field and cross-country distance runner. After recovering from an eating disorder and experiencing a few injuries during her collegiate and post-collegiate running career, she reflected on how her nutritional choices and self-care could help improve not only her running, but also how it made her overall well-being so much better. Darla, welcome to Feed Me the Facts. Hi, thank you so much for having me on today. So I'm really excited to get into this conversation um, because we found you through um, one of our student, no, I'm sorry, an RDN survey that you filled out eons ago, and you were telling us a little bit about your experience as a Latina and as someone who is an uh, eating disorder survivor. Um, so we'll get all into that and all into those details, but kind of want to just first kick things off. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself um, and what drew you to the field of dietetics? So hi, everybody. Uh, so a little bit about me is I am originally from the Rio Grande Valley, which is um, kind of around where South Padre Island, Harlingen, just like at the very tip of Texas. I came to Houston about 10 years ago and I, at first I really wanted to like go into med school and, you know, do all that stuff. And then within my first year of being a collegiate athlete and being in school, I was like, I don't think this is for me. And so after my first semester of college, I was like, well, I have all these credits. Cause I went into to college with like a lot of extra credits from like high school. And like, I did like early college, like prep stuff. Mm. I don't want to lose all these credits. So what else piques my interest? And so I saw nutrition. And so I decided to start studying nutrition. And I was a runner. So I was like, well, you know, I really want to learn more about nutrition. How do I improve my performance? How does this benefit me? And so I started to take those courses. And so originally, it was more of like, I want to be a dietitian when I was in undergrad. But I guess like, you know, since I am an eating disorder survivor mixed up in there, I was kind of a little put off um, towards the end of it. And I wasn't really sure whether I wanted to match anywhere. Um, so that was kind of interesting where I was kind of in this space where I don't know, this is for me. I'm afraid I'm going to relapse. And so I took some time to, you know, do my master's. And um, by the end of my master's, I was kind of like, yeah, I think this is for me again. And I feel healthy and I feel like I've been in recovery and in a good place for a while. And I think I can mentally and emotionally handle a dietetic internship. So I tried to like alleviate that pressure of having to match right away um, and just kind of give myself some space to really like see who I was and grow as like a woman again. And yeah, so once I finished my, my master's, I was like, hey, I really think I should pursue this thing again. And so I matched at U of H, their dietetic internship, which was about six months, which was great for me because I was like, I don't want to be without a job anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Within like a year, it was great. So it was kind of like also a a weird crossroads for me because I was already going to be 26 and I was no longer going to be on my parents' health insurance. I was like, Mm -hmm. I need to um, really get on this if this is like, what what you what have to do in life yeah yeah that's yeah. so interesting i love the that 
you kind of thought about wanting to be in the right place mentally. I think that's really powerful and that not feeling like you had to jump right into, you know, applying for the dietetic internship and, and all the stress that comes with matching. I think that's a really powerful reflection. What, was there anything in particular that kind of um, sparked that? Was it just kind of your recovery process and um, just being more introspective? Yeah, I think it was just really um, just kind of being more gentle on myself and not having to feel like I had to do everything like by the book. Um, I was also taking like my last semester an eating disorder course, funny enough, when I had like fully, fully entered recovery. And that was interesting too. Um, the person who taught that course, she has a counseling practice here in Houston and she had also experienced one. So she was also kind of like my... I wouldn't say like my official mentor, but she's definitely was somebody that I was like, I would really like to be healthy and make sure that I'm being healthy for me. And that way, when I get clients later on that have this problem, I'm not putting on like the same pressures or like I'm understanding where they're coming from. And like when I took that course, it was kind of like, it was more of like, I wanted to understand deeply what was going on or how do I get myself out of this it wasn't like I'm so like I felt the shame and the guilt from it but it was more of I just really want to understand how did I get here and where I'm going now so that was kind of like why I took that course and then it really helped me just kind of be a lot more gentler when you know the matching came along yeah, that's amazing. So Starla and I actually went to the same undergrad, University of Houston, go Cougs. Um, and so I think I know what professor you're talking about. Is it um, Dr. Honig? Karen? Karen Honig, yeah. Honig. Yes, I was like, I know I'm saying her name wrong. At the Healthy yeah. Way, right? Is that the name of her practice still? Yeah, at the Healthy Way. So she still that's sees great. a lot of, you know, eating disorder patients primarily. And so um, it was funny because when I was in undergrad, I went to her practice. She wasn't like anybody that I worked with, but I worked with her dietitians. Cool. Um, I was really like committed to trying to figure it out. So I was really lucky. Yeah, that's amazing to have that that mentor to kind of lean on and that kind of understands both perspectives of being a dietitian and going through recovery. And so can you tell us about your career path up to this point? So I know you said you got your master's and then went through the six-month dietetic internship, which is one of the shorter ones, um, which is great, I'm sure, or you can maybe give your perspective on that. But um, yeah, what was your career path like so far? What do you do? Um, and does it align with some of the goals you've had as a student? Yeah. So some of the goals I had as a student, I think were more, I honestly, it's kind of like a blur now because I went through so much during that time being an athlete and then having to figure out like what I was going to do afterwards. And so when I decided to do my master's, it was more of, I had an extra year of eligibility. So I was like, well, why not just get my master's in? Mm -hmm. I have like an extra year to do what I love, which was running. And then I have another year to just kind of be a student and still grow for myself. Um, so that was, and I'm really glad I did that just because I needed that space. And I still needed to be around like my team and like the athletic department also like paid for all of my my um, services. So I was also really lucky. Yeah. yeah. So not a lot of people get that, but I was extremely lucky. So I stayed as well, just because, you know, you just don't really know, or I didn't really know what was going to happen the year after I left and this like new state of like body and mind and emotional health. So I think I took that route. And then right in the middle of it, I got really into cancer research. Hmm. 
Um, so I applied for this internship. It's called Exito, which is means success. And they take on um, Latino grad students or people who have graduated already with a master's degree um, or graduate degree. And they kind of help mentor them and provide them with tools and skills and, you know, show them how to apply for a doctorate program. So I was kind of like also in this weird place where I'm really interested in learning about my culture and pursuing this thing, but I'm not sure if I want to go to get like a PhD or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad I took it because it opened up so many doors. I was um, able to like help with research projects. I had another mentor that was really into Latino health and research. And then I was at MD Anderson. And so I just had like full access to all kinds of articles. And I was looking up like different behaviors or parental feeding behaviors with families and talking about like acculturation and assimilation and things like that, that I had never, ever actually understood. Mm. Uh, And what, what being a Latino minority meant female or like your socioeconomic status. Like I was never really exposed to that Mm -hmm. growing up or even in school. So I think I just found myself in this really interesting place and it helped me also reflect on like my own experiences as a Latina and how I really, really ended up with an eating disorder. And I think that was really helpful in like even deep, like having a much, much even deeper understanding of what, like how I felt about my body and being an athlete and being a Latina, because there's not very many Latinas that are in athletics. So I found myself in like this weird comparable state Um, and even like when I was in school, like I was reflecting on a lot of times where I felt like the minority, but I didn't understand why Mm. And ever have been to the Rio Grande Valley, like 90% of the population is Hispanic. So I never felt like a minority until I moved to Houston. Right. So that was like a huge culture shock in itself. So when I really understood like my first year of being in college, it was a lot of new experiences um, at the same time, like new competition, schoolwork that was challenging because I was always like a really good student. And so it was like even more challenging. Lining up with women that were like a phenomenal athletes for the first time and having that body comparison again. Mm. So it was always like reflecting on like, how do I deal with being a minority in these very competitive spaces? And how do I, how was I coping with it? And it was through my eating disorder how I was coping with it. So it really helped me understand that aspect. And even like with my family, like the family dynamics of it um, were also interesting of like what I uncovered. And so I pick up a lot now of like diet culture in Latinos or a lot of myth busting. And so we talk about those things too, or like how do we talk to each other about food and health and things like that. So that's been really rewarding now. But once I did that, um, I pursued my, my dietetic license And then I started working at Texas Children's. So that was also really helpful in like having more like one-on-one time with Latino families. So I worked in an outpatient setting for about three and a half years. I did gestational diabetes, um, diabetes education with families, um, a lot of like adolescent nutrition, pediatric, infant care as well. So that was also really eye-opening too on you know, working one-on-one with families and their questions about food and nutrition and access to healthcare, safe spaces, things like that, how depression can affect somebody. So now, since I recently left actually in June and it was like really hard because I liked my coworkers. Yeah. It felt like 
Um, it was just time to grow into something else. And it was kind of a little bit repetitive after a while, you know, kind of seeing all the same issues pop up. So now I'm kind of, um, I'm not, I'm, now I'm doing private practice um, at a private practice here in Houston. And so I get more like, I get, I would say like a Latino maybe once in a while, but yeah. not, not as often as before, obviously, but I really like drawing on that experience at Texas Children's to now because I'm able to provide really good care and like I kind of already know some of the questions and so if I ask them like hey well what do you think about this has anybody ever educated you on this and they're like no I've nobody's ever educated me and I'm like okay well then you know let's you know let's take steps back because like there's no harm in revisiting this educational phase mm -hmm. um, because that's just going to help you understand your body a lot more. And so once we go through that, then I'm able to really gain their trust a lot more too. Yeah, that's amazing. So mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting, you know, because people, when they talk about Houston, you know, it's seen as one of those like most diverse cities, but coming from a place where you definitely were in the majority transitioning to a place where yeah, you're switching to becoming a minority on top of having like the various levels of competition that you kind of talked about, like internally, but also like externally as part of, as a division one athlete, it seems like just, yeah, so many different layers. And so I think it's really inspiring to hear about just in like, I guess the five years you were there, the transformation you were ever able to have and kind of um, the growth you were able to have sounds pretty incredible. Yeah. Thank you. So did you ever feel kind of in that transition from going from home to Houston to becoming an RD, when you entered the field of dietetics, did those feelings of kind of being the only or being slightly isolated kind of intensify? I mean, because I know, you know, most of our audience probably knows about the stats of the field of dietetics and um, how underrepresented minorities are definitely not accounted for in, in the way that we should be. Obviously, that's part of our mission. Um, but did you ever feel that once you entered the field or not so much? It was more so just the transition from home to uh, moving to Houston. Um, I did feel it a little bit. I think especially when I was first looking for jobs, I wasn't sure if like, and maybe this is just me like having imposter syndrome because I did experience that. And like occasionally I still kind of do. And then I have to take a step back of, you know, I did go to grad school, like I did get my license, I went to undergrad, I've experienced all these things. And so especially when I'm counseling people, I have to always kind of stand in like my confidence again and remind myself, hey, like, you know what you're doing, just because you are this minority doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, it just almost makes me work even harder. I think I just have like, maybe just like an athlete mindset still to where I'm okay with working harder. Yeah. And you just kind of have to have a little bit of tough skin when it comes to that stuff. It shouldn't be that way, but I've never really felt like, um, like people like excluded me or I was ever excluded from stuff. Um, if anything, I have learned, I have to actually like pursue more opportunities a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. uh, and if I see stuff that looks appealing, I just can't overthink it. And it's really kind of taught me also that in order to get to a place where I feel great professionally and I feel adequate, I have to continually also invest in my skill sets. And that's the only way that I'm ever really going to feel confident is one. I think like for anybody to, um, you know, constantly investing in like how you see how worthy or how much you're worth. Yeah. You really 
have to continually invest in those skill sets because once you stop doing that, then that's when imposter syndrome definitely starts to take over and you feel inadequate. Yeah. Yeah. But I would say like, if anything, being a minority has benefited me in the job realm, especially because I'm also bilingual Mm -hmm. and I have a diabetic education background. So it's pretty in need, especially here in Houston, to find dietitians that are doing that kind of work. And I've even like had people from back home that will see me virtually now. Wow. Um, Really kind of benefited me just like in, you know, just in the line of work that I like to do. And yeah. Yeah, that's great. So you kindly shared with us that you are an eating disorder survivor. Um, And eating disorders from my perspective are often not discussed in communities of color. I'd love to hear your perspective or it's something that's seen um, as something that primarily impacts white communities or white women. Did you feel this way when you were struggling with your ED or as you've counseled people either at Texas Children's or in the private practice that you're in now? Um, I definitely felt very alone um, when I was going through it. I mean, I was like, a student athlete and then like I was a Hispanic person so it was like there was maybe like two other girls like in the whole athletic alumni center um that were Hispanic and so me having an eating disorder I was like I didn't know who to talk to about it and so that's why I'm glad I had a lot of professional help with it Mm -hmm. but I definitely do agree that eating disorders are very much misunderstood in like communities of color they're just not talked about. People don't understand it. It was very, like, even now being a, a provider and, like, talking to families that have had um, young girls that have had eating disorders, because that's what I did at Texas Children's, too. I saw some adolescents that had eating disorders, and they just kind of thought, like, okay, like, you know, we're going to go home and, you know, work on this, and we'll see you in, like, two months, right? Like, she's going to be fine. And I was like, no, I need to see her, like, every week or yeah. every week in order for her to be able to do this or they would put a lot of pressure on them to eat stuff and I was like you cannot pressure somebody like that you have to do it in a very gentle way um so it was it was a lot of education on that as one parents they just want the best like those are I think probably the best parents that just like want for their child to be okay but it definitely is a hard pill to swallow for families especially like of color Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then because it's a mental health issue. So right. it's also even much deeper than eating food. It's not about the food. It's a lot of like mental health that needs to be understood. Um, and I think a lot of as well, like a lot of families kind of think that they're at fault for it. And maybe like sometimes they could have exacerbated it or maybe contributed it to some, in some way, but they're not to blame. Like I could look at back at my parents and mm-hmm. I don't think my parents did anything at all. I think it was all very much me. And so maybe I'm just maybe protecting them, but mm-hmm. I honestly really feel that I was the one that um, put all of this immense pressure on myself to do good. My parents were just like, you're doing so great. We're so proud of you. But even like, you know, when I would hear things like that, it was just a lot of pressure on me. Yeah. That yeah. That and I'm I'm sure like some of the like external like the culture in general kind of influencing what you think that I know I struggle with this like what I think I should be doing and then comparing myself to those sorts of things and then getting in my own head about it like I think it's like definitely yeah. internal but also external things that are influencing it. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely is. It definitely holds like the saying that you should always be in your own path and not look anywhere else. Very true after a point. So even now as like an adult, I have to remember that, that everything I do is just, it's meant for something that I'm going to be great at later on in the future. Maybe not now, but I just have to always stay in my path. Yeah, that's, a, um, that's good. So I'm so glad you brought up the aspect of it being about mental health and more than just food. Cause I feel like as dietitians, we're, we're trained, of course, we get this like really great supervised practice and, and take some really relevant courses when we're in our um, training and our educational pathway. But did you feel, I guess when you got out of school, did you feel like there were certain things that you really wanted to bulk up on professionally in order to be a better provider? Like, I don't know, maybe psychology skills or how do you, how do you manage um, not coming out of school and not knowing all the things that you think would benefit your patients or clients? Oh man, I think there's a lot of things like psychology wise mm -hmm. um, that would have benefited me. I definitely think motiva motivational interviewing was a is a big one. Um, just so you really understand like what the what like your patient wants or your client needs or something like that, and helping them actually be honest with themselves. A lot of people will band aid it. And then I also think having courses for dietitians on how to be like, I, this is sounds so ridiculous, but like how to be empathetic um, as well. Cause that was a big one that I think my eating disorder really taught me was how to empathize with people and like being on the other side of having, having seen counselors and, and dietitians, you know, people, they definitely want to place like, I guess like a curtain over things, but once you get them to really trust you, they will tell you all kinds of stuff. And not that like I'm the greatest dietitian, but I think because I empathize a lot, mm -hmm. I get a lot of tears and like people like the first time I ever met them or even in the hospital, I would just get tears all the time or just like patients telling me all kinds of stuff that they never told the providers. Wow. Um, so I think just, and that's, I think that's probably been like one of the biggest things, but like the biggest gifts I, from being a dietitian now and having that experience is people just telling me things and feeling like they can trust me right away. So I think that's, that's probably something that I wish I would have learned more professionally versus having to experience something like that. Just learning how to be a good listener, how, learning how to empathize with people, motivational interviewing. And I think even like a little bit of sales too, because mm. uh, you did want to learn how to sell a product or gain the trust of your client or the, of your patient, you have to have a little bit of sales experience. And I think asking the right questions as well around the patient and not just like what you have in mind, I think that's helped me a lot too. So I've even like delved into like, um, how do I sell this client? But it's not for me, it's for them. How can I give to that person? What yeah. can I give? What do they need? Um, and really detaching myself from the practice that I, that I work at, having like detaching that, but focusing on them the entire time. Yeah, th those are amazing um, things that you listed. And I'm just wondering, because I think there can be sometimes some pressure when we come out of school as like, you are the nutrition expert. But I think it's really reassuring to hear about the things that you knew that you wanted to grow in some more, like the motivational interviewing and the empathy mm -hmm. and sales 
So there's always kind of growth to happen post-school. And, and although we do have this like tagline as nutrition experts, like mm-hmm. it's okay to not be the expert as soon as you get out. Like there's going to be more learning to be done. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I feel a little bit funny about using nutrition expert with people. Mm-hmm. Like I don't like to throw that in people's face because it sounds like I'm getting defensive. So I always just encourage that people like they're, they're definitely the expert on their bodies, Yeah, but they have to become aware of that. And so I, I kind of don't really like to use that very much, especially like in front of people or like, even when I'm giving a talk somewhere, I don't really like to say I'm a nutrition expert. Yeah. Really just try to get them. Like I'm just a regular person too. And I'm just a dietitian and this is how I want to help you. That's great. So you talked a little bit about this, but you know, we say a lot at Diversified Dietetics that we believe that representation matters, especially in this field um, where we're hoping to increase the diversity. Um, do you feel that the representation you bring to your field and you bring to the conversations um, around eating disorders has influenced the way that you practice or impacted the patients you serve? Oh, yeah. Um, I definitely think that being a Hispanic woman and then having gone through something like that um, has really just even helped my community. I've seen women become much more body positive and because I'm still a big runner, Mm -hmm. um, women will definitely come up to me and tell me I really liked what you posted the other day. It made me really think about it. Or how would I talk to my daughter about being more confident in her body? And so like opening up the doors more to those kinds of conversations that are super important not just as like a hispanic woman but just like you know women in general and being a future mom or being a a mom right now i think we definitely have a lot more influence on each other and the fact that i can show people or, or encourage people to think about their bodies in this way even in the running space i definitely feel like there's been some kind of change as well what are some of the lessons you feel that you've learned working in the field of dietetics and what are some that you're looking forward to learning in upcoming years? I know you touched a little bit on the skills around motivational interviewing and empathy that you acquired, but is there something you're really looking forward to learning going forward? I'd really like to do more things around sustainability. Um, I think that's something that's really important. And maybe this is this could also sound a little bit privileged as well because, you know, I have like a job and education and things like that. But I think being a little bit more sustainable and talking about food and communities, I think that's something that a lot of people haven't really talked about in dietetics. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's there and like we've all naturally, you know, we think about it and we're conscientious of it. Um, Just, you know, being dietitians, we want to go to the farmer's market and like, you know, improve like, farm to table restaurants and things like that. But I definitely think that because we're dietitians, um, there's some kind of responsibility that I feel that that needs to be, I, I definitely need to learn more about it and be able to share it with people. Yeah, I was wondering, because when you were talking about how when you transitioned from going from Texas Children's to the private practice, kind of the pool of diverse patients that you were getting kind of decreased. So yeah, I'm wondering, so how do you or dietitians in general increase the diversity in the patients that they're seeing? Is there, I guess, an effective way 
to do that. Cause I feel like, you know, we have so many great things to say and, you know, sometimes our nine to five might not be in an environment where it's a very diverse client or patient base, but you know, if this is something that we're passionate about giving back to our communities, what's the best way in your opinion that to do that? Right. I think that's something that I'm still kind of trying to figure out as well. Cause I did move from like 90% Hispanic population to like maybe like one or two or three per month. Mm-hmm. Um, I am pretty lucky so far that like the person that I work with or like it's like the woman that I, I work under at the private practice, she will usually send me Hispanic clients and I, I ask, I kind of like prefer it that way too. I mean, I'm glad she's been sending me them because um, I get to kind of be a little bit more personable and those are super personable people, especially when you're, (laughs) they're talking to you about food and I have a lot more fun too. So it just kind of makes it more enjoyable for me. But I think that's something that I think I would probably have to do more of, um, like just like outreach because there's a lot of Hispanic physicians in the area too that also attract a lot more um, Latinos. So I think even if I didn't get paid to do like an Instagram live mm-hmm. or something like, you know, leaving handouts in the doctor's office on nutrition, I think that is still something. And like, maybe they do come to me eventually and seek more one-on-one help, but at least that's something that I'm giving back to the community. And I've even been asked to do um, several things in like Latino newspapers in the area. Awesome. So that's also been um, fun. But I think definitely like, and honestly, a lot of this has come from social media. Um, yeah. Because that's usually how you find people now, nowadays. So I think even just like owning that you are a Hispanic dietitian or a dietitian in color. And I did kind of put that out there one day on the post. And I got so many messages from people and even like, you know, doctors in the area that ended up seeing it somehow. And wow. yeah, I've kind of made those connections. Um, Cause I think, again, it's, it's really rare when you find a dietitian of color um, in any kind of community. So, and if you have a certain population that's coming to you, or if this kind of person prefers to work with like a dietitian or a professional that is like them, then yeah, mm-hmm. you know, definitely. I mean, you can't, you can't not give the patient something else because you think it's better. You have to give the patient what they prefer to. And if they prefer that, then that's fine. Right. So for those that are interested um, in helping others through ED recovery or learning more about um, treating eating disorders in patients of color specifically, are there any specific tools or resources that you utilize or that you like to um, go to that would help people grow professionally? That's a tough one. Um, I haven't really been able to find a lot on it because even like a lot of eating disorder books that I read, um, I know it's like really don't encourage it with like eating disorder diet, like eating disorder patients. But I think I was like coming from it like in a dietitian view, none of them were from Hispanic people or any other color. It was all like white women. So it was kind of a little bit hard to understand, but I did read like other books on like, I honestly read books on like being a Hispanic woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like it had nothing to do with being a dietitian. It was about 
being a Hispanic woman and like what does that mean? What book was it? I can't even remember the name anymore. Um, I read another one actually called Eating in the Light of the Moon and I forgot who it's by, but I actually have a copy of it in my office. Um, and I encourage like people who like stories and folklore and myths and things like that, um, talk about it too. And like even just finding like different little symbols of being a Latina, even books by like Sonia Sotomayor, like just people like that, or really understanding more about women leaders and like being a Latino. Yeah. Um, um so even um that npr latino radio host oh my god i'm forgetting her name maria hinajosa <laughs> there you go yeah i love her yeah like, she's great but yeah even like stuff like that i'm very i try to stay on top of even just current events because it just like makes me a little bit more prouder to yeah the other women like that are like me um doing doing amazing things. So I think that just even helps me stay more in recovery. Cause like, if I, if I can't, if I'm not healthy, I'll never ever reach a point where I'm successful or like I'm able to define my success. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm just always trying to define this eating disorder, or like stay within its limitations. That's really great. So, so yeah, like I said, we would definitely link all of those resources um, as well as the ones you talked about earlier with MD Anderson, the success, um, what was the name of that one again? It's called Exito, E-X-I-T-O. E-X-I-T-O. Okay, yeah, I think that's a really great resource. Um, It's really inspiring. I think you fall into that same category of like women who are trailblazing um, because there's not that many dietitians of color or Latina or Latino dietitians who are um, kind of counseling people and helping with uh, recovery, bringing up those topics around eating disorders, letting people know that, you know, eating disorders can mm-hmm. in various different communities and can look very differently. Um, yeah. It's not just one certain type of thing. And so it's really great to hear about, you know, your path, the things that you're able to learn and, and where you see yourself continuing to grow. Do you have any other final thoughts that you would like to leave with us? Mm-hmm. No, I mean, there's a lot of great dietitians that put a lot out of great content on social media around, you know, being like having eating disorder or disordered eating and how do we identify it. So I don't really like want to overshadow or like overlook them either because I do draw from them a lot of like inspiration and like I do learn from them too. Like what are, what is, what are their thoughts around certain things or okay, like, or if I have like, they also provide like clarity points too. It's kind of like, okay, like I was thinking that too, but I didn't know how to word it. I yeah. didn't actually like say this in like a, a clear way to somebody else. So I do draw a lot from those dietitians as well. Um, so hopefully like I'll grow as well and then mm-hmm. be able to share more. But right now it's a lot of like running and nutrition and just kind of like talking openly about my past experience, but hopefully sharing more about you know, being a Latina and having an eating disorder history. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Starla, for talking with us today. Do you have anything that you want to plug specifically that you have coming up or your um, pages that people can find you at? Um, so my Instagram is Starla underscore shines. Um, and that came up when I had fully entered recovery. And I was like, I need an Instagram handle. 
and I really like like the place that I'm in and so I feel like I'm shining right now and so that's how Starless Shrines was created. That's beautiful. Um, I just got goosebumps all over my arms. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, my my website is www.thehealthyshine.com and then I have an event actually for people who are in the Houston area. Oh nice. Strava. So Strava is a running based community app um, and it connects other runners in different areas and even like around the world. So I have a nutrition event for runners with Strava coming up on Monday. Okay, great. Yeah. And there'll be different, wow. um, different, different event dates too. So this is kind of like a series. Great. That's amazing. Well, congrats on all of that. And it was great talking to you and we will talk to you later. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Feed Me the Facts. You can find past episodes and this episode on our website, www.diversifydietetics.org, as well as on the Apple Podcast app. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, rate, and leave a review. Last but not least, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Diversify Dietetics.